Well, good morning. I left a breakfast meeting on Thursday, and as I was leaving, a gal said, make sure you pray for all of us. A lot of stuff was going on with the gal at the restaurant, the people that work there, and we know them, we know them intimately, and we know there's a lot of stuff going on, and life is pretty messy for them. Laura and I had dinner last night with a friend of ours lives out of this area, and we found out just what was going on, health for him, health for her, and the messiness of life, we need to be reminded that God is with us, that he loves us, and that he cares for us. Last week, we actually showed you a video from our friend Peggy, and it was the beginning of a story. I'm going to continue that story this morning, and what we learned from last week from Peggy, that at a particular point in time, her life was messy. She went through a, a really big heartache, heartbreak with her family. And what we'd like to do is think that, you know, we only go through those things every once in a while, but the reality is for her, reality is for us, sometimes the messiness of life continues on. And what I want to do this morning is I want to allow her to tell in her story how life continued to get a little bit more messy. And so here is a video as we begin from Peggy Booker, one of my friends, one of our co-workers. All my dreams have been crushed. Everything I thought was going to happen in life was no longer going to happen. I was scared for my kids. As most of you will know, um, Dave Booker, my husband, um, by the way, I met him at church and we got married almost five years after my husband had left. So Dave came down with pancreatic cancer and it was a devastating diagnosis because we both knew that that's a very difficult cancer. His last Christmas with us, he knew it was going to be his last and it was very emotional for all of us. The Lord had given him a little reprieve from the chemo and radiation, and he was feeling good at Christmas. He got to sing with the worship team. He was very excited about that. He loved worshiping the Lord. Our last Christmas was full of lasts. We both knew it, the family knew it, and it was just a very difficult time. The part that we didn't know yet is that it was Christmas, but in March, it, which is when he died, um, COVID struck. So now we are in the midst of COVID. Dave laid unconscious um, for a week, and um, by the time Dave died, we were in full lockdown mode. The difficult thing about that was I couldn't have a funeral for him. That was so heartbreaking. Um, Never in a million years would I have thought something like that would happen. I'd been planning a funeral in my head, hoping that I wouldn't need it, but I did. And Pastor Clint and David Shepherd from Shepherd's Funeral Home came up with the idea of a drive-by visitation. Now that sounds kind of silly, I know, but because we couldn't make contact with people and things like that, I can't tell you how much it ministered to my heart to be able to look in the eyes of my friends and family as they drove by. We had a beautiful day that day, and we were able to have Dave outside with us, and the whole family was there, and it was just very helpful in, in some of the closure I needed. For those of you that know Dave and Peggy, we remember walking through that with them and the difficulties and the challenges of what that meant, and not only for their and their family, but for us as we watched him and as we ministered to them and tried to take care of them. And, and the, the reality is that uh, the life can change extremely fast. Life can get messy really, really quickly. And the Bible says this, Jesus said this, in this world you will have tribulation. 
but take courage, I have overcome the world. That's John 16, 33. And that's given in the context of peace. Jesus says, I will give you peace. So Jesus says, I will give you peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And, and that's why I'm glad that you're here this morning, because we have the opportunity to listen to the words of Jesus from the Bible. We have the, the, the opportunity to listen to what God would speak to us about the messiness of life and to be encouraged that no matter where we would find ourselves today, that, that Jesus is right there with us, that he wants to walk through life with us. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And what we're going to do is um, we're using the, the Christ mess theme, if you will, that in the, the messiness of life, Christ comes to, to help us. Why do we know that? Because the Bible says this, as we're going to see in our text, he, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And so what we can do, no matter what we're going through in life, we can go knowing, recognizing that God is with us, that he is always with us. And what I want to do this morning is I want to see and show that, that God had some different plans for Mary. In the messiness of Mary's life, God had some different plans. God was going to take Mary uh, on an entirely different trajectory of what she thought and experienced, much like Peggy experienced. So hear the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And the Lord's servant, Mary, answered, May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Father, we have our, our Bibles open in front of us. And we've just read this passage. And Father, what a wonderful passage of you breaking, breaking into human history in a powerful, powerful way. That you would come to a young, a young woman and that you would radically change her life. Father, you would do so in a way that would bring meaning and purpose, well, not just 2,000 years ago, but today for us who would look to and embrace this Jesus who is our Messiah, who is the Son of God. Father, I pray that in the words of the psalmist that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things from your law, that we would see the wonder and the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Father, I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You ever wonder what it must have been like for Mary at that particular point in time? Some people believe that she's 12, 13 years old. She's just a young child, a young woman. She's pledged to be married to, to Joseph. The, the families have come together. Um, there's, been, there's been a pledge. There's been a bride price, uh, price that has been paid. The families agreed on this. 
They would agree to live separately for a year. The families would get to know each other. They would rejoice. They would celebrate. Uh, Mary and Joseph would have no physical contact. They would maintain their purity, which is huge. They would not sleep together. They would not have anything like that. They would, they would maintain that dignity, and they would live apart until they would come together, and there would be this wonderful, wonderful celebration of, of life together. And then they would move on, and, and life would go on, and they would live happily ever after, right? Isn't that the way it's supposed to go? Isn't that the way the story goes? But for Mary, there's a problem. She's going to have a child. She's a young woman. She's going to have a child. It's not going to be Joseph's child. And it's, she's going to get pregnant before they even have a chance to consummate their marriage. So from a Jewish perspective, Mary is a, a scandalous woman. She's a woman who has a, is going to have to live with shame, if you will. She's a sinner. She's a loose woman. She would forever be labeled as a loose woman, as an immoral woman, if you would. And no matter how hard she tried to explain it to people, that it was the power of the Holy Spirit who overshadowed her, people would look at her and raise their eyebrows and stick her and say, oh yeah, sure, a Holy Spirit came upon you. So no doubt she lived the rest of her life this idea that she was a woman with a reputation. Yet God, God in his infinite wisdom and power was going to do something incredible. God's eternal plan, God's eternal purpose for the Messiah was now bearing fruit, if you was coming to a point where, where God was going to do something mighty and powerful and bring about not only John the Baptist, but the Messiah Jesus. And so as we walk through the text, we're invited to, how, how, how would we respond in a situation like this? We're going to see how Mary responds. We're going to see what God did in the midst of all of this. And what I want to do is I just want to outline the text in, in three ways. And then we're going to come back to an application and we're going to hear from Peggy again. As we walk through the messiness, it's been kind of messy for, for Mary's life. I want to look at, the, at God's plan. God has a plan here. Even in the messiness of life, God has a plan. The second thing we're going to see is God has a person. And that person is Jesus. He is Emmanuel and he is God with us. So he has a plan. He has a person. And God has the power. The testimony says this, with, with nothing, God, all things are possible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. So whatever you might be going through, whatever we might be going through today, God is the God of the impossible. And that's kind of what I want to do. And then I want to bring it together in kind of an application before we leave and have lunch together. So what we know and understand is this. What, what the author Luke is doing, he's, he's kind of continuing the story, if you will. If you look at verse 26, he goes, he says this, he writes this, in the sixth month. And, and basically what Luke is doing, he's taking us back to the previous passage. God's plan in redemptive history was coming true in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John. You know the story. Zechariah goes to the temple. He's in there worshiping, offering the sacrifices. And all of a sudden the angel Gabriel shows up. And says, listen, I know that your wife Elizabeth, I know that you guys are barren. I know it's old, you're in old age, you can't have a child. But what I'm going to do is you're going to have a child. And I want you to give him the name John. And guess what? He's going to be great and he's going to be a forerunner to the Messiah. Gabriel shocked, doesn't know what to do. But we do know this, when he comes out of the temple and that worship after that vision of seeing the angel Gabriel, he can't speak. So they go back home and what happens is Elizabeth conceives, she's going to have a child. And when Elizabeth knows and understands that she's going to have a child in her old age, chapter 1, verse 25 says this. Listen to the words of Elizabeth. The Lord has done this for me. 
In these days he has shown his favor and he's taken away my disgrace. She knew with absolute certainty that God was coming along the scene and he was doing something mighty and powerful in her life. And she said, God is what? He's given me favor. He's given me what? Grace. In the midst of life, she's experiencing grace, if you will. And she knew it. She recognized it. God was once again on the move in redemptive history. See, what we know is this, that for 400 years, theologians call this 400 silent years, at the close of the Old Testament book of Malachi, 400 years, no visions, no visitations from God, no miracles, very few, none of that was going on. It's almost as if God is being silent toward the Jewish nation, to the Jewish people. And now, in the reality of John coming and Jesus, God is moving in redemptive history in an incredibly powerful way. In what way is God moving now? Well, if you know the Gospel of John, or the Gospel of Luke, all you need to do is go back, uh, go to chapter 3 and understand what's happening in Luke's Gospel. That basically what's going to happen in Luke's Gospel in in, uh, chapter 3 is this, that, that this John guy, all of a sudden he's going to come on the scene. He's going to start to walk around. He's dressed kind of odd. He's eating locusts and wild honey. He's walking around. He looks kind of odd. But he has a message. And his message is radical. He's calling people to repent. Turn from your ways. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is coming. I'm not the Messiah, but the Messiah is coming. He's coming after me. And I'm not worthy to basically undo his his sandal, if you will. And what we know in, in the reality of John coming is this, that what was happening was the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 and 5. That God's plan in redemptive history was beginning with John the Baptist, if you will, who would come along the scene dressed in an incredibly odd way, if you will. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what Luke is doing, he's taking us back to the, he's saying, he says, don't forget John. That's why he says the phrase, in the six months, means John and Jesus, they're going to go together. John has a message of repentance, and Jesus is coming right after, and he's going to live and act in a mighty and powerful way. John and Jesus, if you will, go together. And what Luke is simply doing, he's reminding us that, listen, God's redemptive plan began in the Old Testament. Most people believe it actually begins in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And all of the Old Testament points to the reality of the Messiah, who he is, when he would come, and what he would do. And what Luke is doing, he's linking John and Jesus together, if you will, in an incredibly powerful way. And, And I think this is how it goes for us today. This is what it means for us today. It means this, that we often think that Christmas is seasonal. It comes after Thanksgiving, so... Thanksgiving comes, and then we open up all the boxes, and we get out all the decorations. We decorate our house. We put the lights up. We, get the, uh, we, we write the cards out. We plan all the meals. We have all of the celebrations. We watch Christmas movies. You do Christmas cards. You do all of those things. We do all of those wonderful things. Why? Because it's Christmas time. We do all of those things. And then we celebrate the day, Christmas Day, and everybody comes over. We celebrate. And then for some people on December 26th, guess what they do? They put it all back in the box. They take the nativity scene, they take little baby Jesus, and what do they do with little baby Jesus? They put him back in the box. Because why? Because we think Christmas is seasonal. Um, some of you are aware of uh, the Peanuts comic strip. Linus, or uh, Lucy and Charlie Brown have an interesting interaction about Christmas, and this is the way it goes. 
Uh, Lucy is saying that Christmas is a time for kindness and a time to forgive one another. That's what Christmas is all about. This is what Charlie Brown says. Why do that just at Christmas? Why can't we have the Christmas spirit the rest of the year? And Lucy looks at Charlie Brown and says, what are you, some kind of religious fanatic? You see what she's saying? Let's, let's keep that spirit of forgiveness. Let's just keep it at Christmas time. And what the Bible says is this. The Bible says that the season of Christmas is good, but we can worship the Jesus who's come for us all year long. Why? Because Christmas is actually transformational. It's about God coming to us and radically changing our lives in an incredibly powerful way. And what it allows us to do is to know that our lives can be transformed by the God who is with us, who loves us, and who cares for us. And so that's the backstory. What, what Luke is doing, he's tying in John the Baptist and Elizabeth and Zechariah in redemptive history. And he's going to bring this, this same Gabriel, if you will, is going to have a message for Mary. And so what I want to do is I just want to walk through, let's walk through the plan, let's walk through the person, and then let's walk through the power. We see God's plan in verses 28 and verse 30 of chapter 1. When Elizabeth became pregnant in her old age, she said that, listen, I have found favor with God. God had given me grace. And he'd taken away her shame. She knew that. And now what happens is the the angel Gabriel now returns to Mary, and her life is about to change. Mary obviously is startled by the presence of this angel, as I would imagine most of us would be if we saw an angel. Verse 29 says she reacts with fear. Remember, she says, what kind of visitation is this going to be? She's reacting with fear. She has no idea what kind of greeting. Notice what the Bible says about the angel. Verse 28. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The the idea of greetings means this. It's kind of a joyous word. It's kind of a celebratory word. Rejoice. It's not, hey, how you doing? It's, it's, It's rejoice. I've got great news for you. You are highly favored and the Lord is with you. Highly favored, you know what it means? It means this, that God has extended grace to you. She, she's asking the question in her mind, what kind of visitation is this going to be? And God is showing that this is a visitation of grace, not anger, not judgment. But what I'm going to do, and the plan that's going to come through, is this is about God's grace being extended to you. Notice what else it says. Verse 30 says, do not be afraid. Those are the same words that were spoken to Zechariah. Don't be afraid, don't be fearful. I mean, how many times in the Old Testament when God was going to do something for an Old Testament patriarch or or through someone's life, that God was going to change their plans or change something or God was going to bring somebody, he's going to ask them to do something. How many times do we read in the Old Testament the, the God coming to them and said, listen, don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm going to go with you and I'm going to walk with you in the midst of the changes that you are about to go through. By the way, somebody has said that there's probably uh, a, a do not be afraid for every day of the week. Some 365 times that phrase appears in the Bible to remind us that every day we can trust the Lord for what he's doing in our lives. We don't have to fear. Mary's highly favored. It says, do not be afraid. And notice what it says. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you simply looks back to the prophet Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 where it talks about he will be Emmanuel which means God with us. Mary's life is about to change in an incredibly powerful way. And by the way, it would get messy. It wouldn't be easy for her. It would get messy in her life. And what she is simply reminding us that something that we've all experienced is this, that 
Each one of us, if you are a child of God, if you, have no, if you know Jesus and if you embrace him by faith, by putting your trust in him, you are highly favored. You have been extended God's grace. And the Bible talks about this grace in which we stand. I think Christmas is an opportunity for us to stop for just a few minutes and to be thankful for the greatest gift that God has given to us in the person of Jesus and the salvation that you and I have that you and I have been reconciled because of our faith. You and I have been reconciled to a holy God and our sin was placed upon Jesus at the cross. And our lives are radically, radically different. And Christmas is an opportunity for us to stop and to celebrate for who he is. Don't forget that this year. Don't forget what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2. Most of us are familiar with these verses Verses 8 through 10. Notice what Paul says about the radical change that's gone through in your life. This gift. This highly favored position that we are in. Notice what it says. For it is by grace you've been saved. Saved from what? From our sin. From God's wrath. From the penalty that is upon us. Through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. Why? Why are you and I saved? Why are we uh, embraced by God and, and given a new nature because of the Spirit of God coming into us? Why is that? For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The greatest gift that you and I have received is the opportunity to embrace who Jesus is and what he's done and for our lives to be radically, radically changed. Do you realize how radical that transformation is? That God changes us on the inside and makes us new creations in Christ? Just this past week, December 7th, celebrated uh, Pearl Harbor Day, right? December 7th, 1941. I did not realize it, but the Japanese pilot, Mitsuo Fushida, he was the one that led the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. He was the one that said the words, Torah, 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 as a way of surprising the Americans on that day. I did not realize that after the war, his life was radically changed, and he converted to Christianity. And he came back to the United States, and what he did was he lived in the United States, and he lived by a new moral code. And you know what that new moral code was? Love your enemies. So he went around in the United States preaching the message of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God had radically changed his heart from one of hatred to Americans to one of love because of what Jesus had done. And that is the transformational power that you and I can experience when we embrace Jesus for who he is and what he's done. And now because of that transformation that's happened on the inside, the Bible says that, that we've been created for good works. In other words, there are things for you and I to do because of our faith and because of what he's done for us. Now what we want to do is we want to go on and we want to offer those good works, those kind words to other people about who Jesus is and what he's done and what he would do for their lives. So, so, so don't forget that dimension of, of being available and useful to God for what he would have us do, living and, and operating in those good works to other people. So what we see here is, is that, that God has a plan for Mary's life. She's going to be radically, radically changed, if you will, by having this child. And Mary is told specifically that her life would change with the arrival of a specific kind of baby. And that's what we see in verses 31 to 33, there's a person 
Mary, you're going to have a child, but it's, it's not just any child. It's a specific child. Notice what he's, the angel says in verse 31. You'll be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name, the name Jesus Short. I mean, we'd, we'd like more information. I don't know about you, but I sure would like to know more information about what's going on. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 4. In the fullness of time, at the exact right time, God sent Jesus, born of a virgin, to come to this earth and live in such a way that our lives would absolutely radically be changed. What was going on in Israel, what was going on in Palestine, what was going on in the Roman, all of those factors came to head and God says this is the right time for this particular child to be born. And Mary, I want you to name him Jesus. I mean, think about it from Mary's perspective, if you will. You're to give him the name Jesus. This, this must have caused shock for her. I mean, go back and look at the Old Testament. How many times did God tell a person to name a child or change a name? Abram, you're going to be Abraham. Sarah, you're going to be Sarai. Isaac, how many, Isaiah, God changes Isaiah's name. Now, knowing all of that in the Old Testament, here's Mary, this little girl, saying, I'm going to have a child, and I'm going to give him, we're to give him the name Jesus. That had to be radically changing in her mind and heart about what God was doing through this angel. And second, think about the name. Yahweh saves. God saves. Jesus is salvation. Could you imagine Opening the door, Jesus is out, seven, eight years old, and he's playing. Jesus! What is she saying? Salvation. Salvation. Jesus saves. He's the one who's going to come. And the Bible says, in Matthew chapter 1, it says, he's the one who's come, what, to save us from our sins. And every time Mary would open the door and she'd call out Jesus, she would be yelling about God's salvation, that he had come to us. Think about that. Think about the name of Jesus. The early church, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Notice what it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the early church went out, what were they? They were proclaiming the name of Jesus, their salvation, no other name. For there's no other name given among heaven by which, what, we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It's the name of Jesus. We preach, proclaim the name of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And by the way, at the end of the story in the book of Philippians, what's going to happen? One day, every one of us, every one of us is going to stand. But what are we going to do? Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Notice what Paul says to the people of Philippi. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me is, is that the Jesus that you know? That he's high and exalted? And that one day we're going to bow at the name of Jesus and worship and glorify him? Go to the book of Revelation. When you go to the end of the story, how many times are the people falling at the feet of Jesus? And what are they simply doing? They're worshiping at the feet of Jesus. The Magi, in the Christmas story, the Magi, we don't know exactly how long this took. Could be a year, could be two. The Magi show up, and what are they doing? They're, they're laying their gifts at what? At the feet of Jesus. And they're, they're, they're worshiping a child? No, they're worshiping a king. Why? Because he's been given the name above every name. And, and that's the Jesus that you and I have the great privilege 
of honoring and worshiping. So what is, what is Mary learning? She's learning about this guy by the name of Jesus. What else do we learn? Look at verse 32. He'd be great. He would be great. Let me ask you something. Who's the greatest person you ever met? In our day and age, I'm a little older than most of you. Remember, remember Muhammad Ali? Remember what he used to say? I am the greatest. Albert Einstein, he was probably pretty great. Mother Teresa, he was probably pretty great. A lot of great people in our world. I'm going to tell you who one of the greatest is. Yachty. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. I love to see Yachty or Molina and Adam Wainwright walk in from the bullpen before the game. I always love to see Yachty walking out with his uniform on and he's got the armor on and he's got the, the face shield on and he's walking out. We're coming out and we're going to do business. Jesus is great. He's great and he should be worshipped. He's born of a virgin. He came to this earth. He was countercultural in who he went to. The lame, the deaf, women, children, all, all the outcasts of society went to all of them. And he taught all of these wonderful worlds. People were mesmerized at what he would say. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. The disciples, who is this that even calms the store? Who? It's an identity question. Who is he? He's the one that we would worship. The one that we would give to. He's absolutely great. And by the way, probably his greatest, greatest words, maybe his greatest act was on the cross. And he says this, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they know not what they're doing. The greatest act was on the cross. He said, forgive them of their sin. And it doesn't matter what I've done and how I've made a mess of my life. God says, I, because of who Jesus is, have the capacity to be forgiven of our sins. His name means salvation. He would be great. Look at verse 32. His identity, he'd be called the son of man or the son of, son of the most high. At his birth, Jesus would be declared what? You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. Over and over in the gospel narratives, we're hearing Jesus being identified as what? The son of God. Devil, evil spirits, you're the son of God. Peter's walking on the water and he begins to sink. They get back in the boat and the disciples confess, surely you are the Son of God. And remember what the text says, they worshipped him. At the cross, the centurion soldier says, surely this was the Son of God. And you and I, Galatians chapter 2 says this, we are called to live by faith in what? In the Son of God who loved us and delivered himself up for us. We are invited, called to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and cared for us. Jesus' name means salvation. He would be great. He would be the Messiah. And look, verse 32. He's a king. He's a king. Not only is he a king, but he's going to reign forever. God made a promise. We looked at this last week. God made a promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that David would have a descendant and it would be beyond Solomon, beyond Rahab, it would be beyond a physical descendant that one day one of his descendants would come and he would reign on a throne, not just for a little while, but he's going to reign forever and he is the king and he would reign. Verse 32 says this, the angel told, the angel Gabriel told Mary, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign forever. After Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says he ascended to heaven. And where does he, he sits at the right hand of God. And what does he do? He intercedes for us. And he's a king. And he should be worshipped as a king. Let me ask you, is, is he the king of your life? The ruler of your life? 
when we embrace Jesus, the rule and the reign of Jesus is being established not only in the world, but in our hearts as we give ourselves to him. Is, is he the ruler of your life? A big key king and not just a little K king? That you're going to submit to him no matter what's going on, the highs, the lows, the ups and downs? Because that's what Mary's going to do. Her plans are radically going to be changed in the person of Jesus. And you know what she's going to say? May it be done to me as you have said. When our plans change, a lot of times we don't want to say, may it be done to me the way that you said. Sometimes we go kicking and screaming. So Peg mentioned uh, Dave. Dave is just a great guy. And she shared a video this week. Some of you probably saw it. If you don't, go to her feed. I don't think she would mind me telling you this. And there's a, there's a feed of Dave singing uh, Mary Did You Know. And I was actually looking for this song, Mary Did You Know. And one of the lines in the, uh, that song, Mary Did You Know, it says this. Mary, did you know that your baby is Lord of all creation? Jesus is Lord of creation. Mary, did you know that your baby would one day rule the nation? That's what we're talking about here, verse 32. That one day you would rule the nations. Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That he would be the lamb of God's chosen before the foundation of the world to go and offer himself as a sacrifice for them. That's what John the Baptist says. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That's what the forerunner says. You're the Lamb who's going to take away the sin of the world. That your baby boy is heaven's perfect land. That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Is that who, is that who Jesus is for you and for us? I hope so, because that's who he is. You know, he, he is the salvation. He, he, is, he is our salvation. He is great in who he is, who we would come to do. He's our king. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. So Mary... 12, 13 years old, has this visitation from the angel Gabriel. Her life is going to be changed. There's plans going on. There's this person of Jesus. She's going to give birth to him. And then she asks a great question, how? How does this happen? When my plans have been changed, when God brings about changes in our life and he confronts us with the person of Jesus, how does God operate? He operates in his power. You may not have the power, but God will give you the power that you need to go through whatever you're going through in life right now. The claim that Jesus entered the world by a virgin birth elicits all kinds of response. Let me ask you something. Do you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure, and I don't want to tell anybody if I do or I don't. We kind of have this idea, is that really a virgin birth? Larry King was asked, if you could interview anybody in history, who would you like to interview? He said, Jesus. I asked him, why? Because I want to find out if he was really born of a virgin. What I find interesting is this. Why wouldn't you want to ask Mary? Why, why Jesus? Why not, why not Mary? Well, because maybe because we have the testimony of Mary and he didn't like it. And I think that's what some people do. Oh, I don't like that. There's even religious people that don't like this. I'm going to show you a quote. Religious people don't like the fact of the virgin birth. Author Patrick Campbell, thank you, Patrick Campbell, The Mythical Jesus, and what a book. If you're going through a really, really hard time in life, let's look to the mythical Jesus. That's not the way that he's described in our text. Episcopal Bishop J.S. Spong, two members, uh, religious people, this is what they said about the virgin birth. This is what I want to get to. It says this, the virgin birth, birth account is clearly 
recognize mythological element on our faith tradition whose purpose was not to describe a literal event but to capture the transcendent dimensions of God in the earthbound words and concepts of first century human beings. I'm not trying to mock him, but listen to it again. The virgin birth is clearly a recognized mythological event. Really. So my belief and the reality that this is actually true is some kind of mythological event? Really? I'm, I'm not a history guy. I, I know a little bit about history. Most likely in the second century, the Apostles' Creed began to be developed in the second century. Remember, this is an oral culture, so they're passing down truths of God in an oral way. Most likely by the 5th century, it was written down because all of these heresies began to come through. And I want to read to you what the Apostles' Creed says about Jesus. It says this, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. The early church clearly believed that the virgin birth was absolutely 100% true. And the problem is this. If you eliminate the virgin birth, what else do you eliminate from the miracles of the Bible? It's almost like we have to pick and choose what we're going to eliminate. Do we eliminate all of the miracles or just a few of them? Because we don't necessarily like this or maybe it doesn't make sense to our frame of reference and who... Jesus is and what he's doing. Listen, the virgin birth matters. Jesus had to be fully God and fully human. There's a sin issue that needs to be taken care of. Jesus was the sinless Lamb of God who offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. He came, and because he was sinless, he had the ability and the capacity to take upon my sin and upon your sin. That's why he needs to be the sinless Savior of the world. Jesus being the sinless Savior of the world, also fulfills Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the idea of a virgin birth. Yes, the virgin birth matters because of who Jesus is and what he would do for our lives. So the question in verse 35, how, is important. Notice what he says. Angel says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You know, if there's one religion that believes that somehow, way, God came down and had sex with Mary. That's not what it means. Overshadow has the idea of Remember the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory? That cloud that would lead the people, maybe coming to the temple and the tabernacle. I'm sorry, the tabernacle. And, and, and they would lead them in the desert through the, through the night and through the day, that Shekinah glory of God leading the people. That's what it means. It's going to overshadow you. The Holy Spirit of God is going to overshadow you. Some miraculous way the Spirit of God is going to come upon you and overshadow you. And by divine intervention, God is going to radically change your life in a powerful, powerful way. Supernatural power of God would come upon Mary and radically change her life. So, Mary has been given a life-altering announcement that all of her plans for her and Joseph are going to change. And it would change around one person. It would change around the unique person of who Jesus is and what he would do. And there would be a supernatural power that would garner her life that she would need in her life. That's what she saw and experienced in this text. So what I want to do is this. Before I, before I come back and make some application, I want to show you a, a video from, from Peggy. And it kind of wraps up who God is, who Jesus is, and what he would do for us in the messiness of life. So hear from Peggy one last time. 
I've had a lot of tragedy and times to have to really lean on God um, for the answers. I've lost my parents and all of my siblings, my husband, the divorce. There's just a lot of things. And yet, I know God is powerful. He loves me. He knows my pain. And he cares. And in fact, my grandson um, is a great football player. It's his senior year of high school. He broke his thumb. Their football team is going to state. And he is going to be out of commission. He's having surgery, not only for the last games of state playoffs, but he is not going to be able to wrestle. And his dad asked me if I had any words of encouragement or any personal scriptures that I could send to him that would encourage him because he's devastated. You know, this wasn't supposed to happen. But isn't that what life is all about? None of this is supposed to happen. We don't think we deserve these things, but we live in a fallen world. So I was able to let him know that God is there in the good and the bad. We have to open our eyes, our hearts, our, our ears, and, and look for it and see it. I have no doubt that he loves me unconditionally and that he loves my family unconditionally. Back in those days when it was hard for my kids, the only way I would get through it is to know that he loved all five of us, my ex-husband, myself, and my three kids, unconditionally. When Dave was dying of cancer, he loved Dave unconditionally. And he knew Dave wasn't ready to leave here yet. He loved us all, and yet he ministered to both of our hearts and spirits during that time. So one of the last things that we did with Dave is we went over, because he couldn't come to church, and he loved to sing, he loved to worship. We went over to his house. I don't know, it was maybe 30 of us that went over to his house, and we got in a circle around, and we just had a worship service. And uh, we looked at God's Word. We sang together. We just had a great time together. And as the end, uh, as the, the night kind of ended, um, Dave just stopped and he said, God is so good. In the midst of his pain, in the midst of cancer, God is so good. Then he went around the room to each one of us and he spoke to each one of us in a specific way. Every one of us. And what we saw was the power of the Holy Spirit in his life to bring peace and comfort and help in the midst of a horrible, horrible mess. And that's what God can do. God can do that in the messes that we come through. Listen, it's not easy. I get it. I get it. Mary, in our text, I want to just read a verse and then I want to draw this to a close. This is what was said to Mary when she went to the temple and had uh, Jesus dedicated. Simeon said this, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary Life is going to be really, really hard for you. As you watch your son be rejected, 
be mocked, be spit upon, and die on the cross. Life is going to be really, really hard. She didn't understand at that time, but that's what she was going to experience. So how does she close this out? I want to just draw this out. Notice what Mary says. Notice her confidence in approaching her relationship with God. She says this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Where does Mary's confidence come from? Three things. Number one, God is gracious. God is gracious. She knew that God had come to her in grace, that even in the midst of what she would experience in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, she was going to experience God's grace. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, we stand in this grace. We've been justified by faith, and we stand in this grace of God. And God had given her grace in her life, and he would continue to give her the grace to bear up in every moment of time as she raised Jesus and watched him die. Second thing is this. May it be as you have said, Jesus was going to be with her. God was going to be with her. Nothing is impossible with God. I will walk through the difficulties and the challenges of life with you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, she would experience God's peace and God's presence over and over again. And God says the same thing to you and I. He's the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And he will do that for us in the midst of the challenges of life. The last thing that we learn from this is Jesus is our king. He is our king, and we worship him for who he is and what he's done. He is the ruler. And by the way, that king is on a throne. And the Bible says that, that we can approach the throne of grace with what boldness? Because of who he is and what he's done for us. So in the messes of life, when God messes with our plans, we have a person by the name of Jesus, and we have the the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us to help us in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of life. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you that no matter what we might be going through, what we might be experiencing, Lord, it's, it's not surprise to you that you make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is yet to come. And Father, we know that God causes all things to work together for good so that we can look to you and we can trust you for who you are and what you've done for us. Father, we thank you for the person of Jesus who went to the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And Father, I pray that those who've lost a loved one, those who have experienced just pain and suffering, Lord, whatever they are going through right now, that through the presence of the Holy Spirit, you would give them that peace that passes all understanding. Father, we thank you for Jesus, who was our king, that he reigns. And we want to continue to worship him this Christmas season. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.